everyone, and welcome to episode 95 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual, my co-host, Brent Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we try to stream console games and draw brackets for some brand new iDevices. How are you doing today, Brent? I'm doing good. It's always fun to talk about new iDevices, even if they are a little underwhelming, but I'm skipping ahead. Exactly. Let's get into it. And so... Interestingly enough, Apple does have a big event planned for next week on the 25th. But in the meantime, they had a few press releases to get a few kind of household cleaning items out of just minor spec bumps and upgrades. And so there's a brand new 10.5 inch iPad Air that has a spec bump on the inside. So it has the A12 Bionic chip and includes support for the first generation Apple Pencil. And it comes in at $499. So... To put this price in perspective, Apple has an entry-level iPad, their old 9.7-inch, that costs $329. And they had the brand-new iPad Pro with the redesigned edge-to-edge screen at 11-inch that starts at $799. And so the old iPad Pro was still sticking around. So it turns out they've now kept the iPad Pro design, the old iPad Pro design, but instead of $649, they've dropped the price down to $499, and changed the name to iPad Air, and then gave the internal spec bump. Right, yeah, so they try to still keep something in the middle between that really entry-level iPad and the 11-inch iPad Pro. I mean, that would have been a huge, like, $500 jump, or almost $400 to $500 jump if they just eliminated the old iPad Pro completely. So now, by calling it a new name, they're able to keep it around, and it's a little less confusing to have this iPad Pro that didn't look like the other Pros. It wasn't that kind of edge-to-edge screen. And by going back to the old Air name, they were able to bring it back and have kind of a go-between of the really entry-level and then the Pro level. Yeah, and it's nice that I didn't even realize they kept the old iPad Pro around at 649 and then you had the new edged edge 11 inch at 799 and then the 999 13 inch but just to be able to keep that old one around and change the name back to ipad air they love flipping that verb back and forth or that uh, adjective but it's uh it's a new option for you it does start at 64 gigabytes and it's a nice middle of the road option because that a12 bionic chip on a non-edged edge screen that's going to be a powerful ipad for years to come Right, yeah, it's it's more if you really would love that new style, which is what I really want, because I have the old 9.7-inch iPad Pro. Uh, so that really, the new style is what I like, but I'm not spending 800 or even or $1,000 for that nice 13-inch or 12.9-inch. But yeah, it, I guess at least they went back to the iPad Air name and didn't go with new iPad Pro or throw that old new logo yeah. that they put in for that one round that one time and then on top of the ipad air there's also a brand new ipad mini so it's the fifth generation ipad mini it now comes with the retina display it also has that a12 bionic chip and it also has first generation apple pencil support and it's the 7.9 inch it's essentially the same form factor as before for the ipad mini and it is 399 dollars Right. So, and that's only 64 gigs. So because that old iPad mini four stuck around for quite a few years, you used to be able to find some deals on it because it was pretty underwhelming, underpowered at this point. And so like, I think I looked it up before we started recording and Target had the old iPad mini four 
128 gigs for 299. So now if you're going in on this new one, granted it is a much better chip that's in this new iPad mini, it's going to cost you more for less space, but because it's the latest offering uh, all the new components and everything. So you, if you're someone who really wants to go back to that 7.9 inch, I know some people really love that, even though at this point the phones are pretty much approaching that size. Uh, there are people that still really love that small iPad mini, and it's nice that they finally are giving it a some love again and bumping up those specs and putting it back out there. For me, it's always weird for Apple to release a new device that is still using an old design, like it has still the home button and stuff. You know, they've done all this to, uh, like marketing and push in their events to show us to use, you know, these swipe gestures and you don't need buttons on the screen. And yet we're still introducing new devices that use those old buttons. Imagine if they had an iPad mini that was 7.9 inch screen size and that was about the size of the entire device where it's edge to edge screen. And, you know, it fits in with that iPad Pro line. I, I, that's what I I would find it appealing to see an iPad that was all screen but wasn't 11 inches. Yeah, I would love to see an iPad mini that looked like those new pros, like to have that set up. And then in a new iPod touch, if they would come out with one of those that look like that same kind of styling of the new pros, I think those things would look amazing. And they then I feel like they're more worth the prices that they're charging for them. But you're still, like you said, they really didn't update much except for the internals. And even that, they're, they've been using those in other devices. It's not like they're really innovating there. They're just taking components that have worked in other devices and now just giving spec bumps for the old iPad mini. It would be much more compelling if it had everything, like the full redesign along with those those tech bumps on the inside. Yeah, and I guess since it's just a tech bump, it's just a press release. And so that was the press release on Monday. And then Apple followed it up with a press release on Tuesday that they've updated their iMac lineup. And the iMacs haven't been updated in nearly two years. The last update was the complete redesign on the outside to have that new, sleek, really modern and just minimalistic design for an iMac. And they just haven't touched them since. So now they've done a spec bump across the line from the entry-level iMac up to the iMac Pro on the 4K and 5K models. Yeah, I mean, if, you're, if you've been holding out waiting for an iMac, maybe now's the time to finally jump on it. I mean, if I were going to get a, a desktop PC, I would seriously look at these iMacs just because it is so nice and compact and everything's all in one and you don't have to, you don't even have to have a separate screen. It's all right there, nice and convenient. So uh, I know people that have them that love them. I, I just happen to, I, I'm a laptop person, so I have the MacBook, but uh, it's nice to see them finally get some, some upgrades as well. Yeah, you have the 8th gen and 9th gen core processors. You know, these iMacs, the iMac Pro, they're approaching that level of the entry-level Mac Pro. And really, the big change of these devices is that the entry-level iMacs got more powerful. They got more of a bump than the entry-level iMac Pro. So essentially, the way it balances the top of the entry-level or the regular iMac is closer to the lower part of the iMac Pro than it was before. 
Right. And then you start to wonder, am I, where do you buy? Like, they start to blur those lines. Like, do you buy a top of the line lower end or do you just get the entry level at the higher end? Right. And I guess it all comes down to whatever they happen to be charging. But, uh, and unfortunately, because these are just coming out, you're not going to be able to take advantage of getting a one of the Apple previously used machines, which is what I bought when I bought my MacBook. Uh, so, but, there could be a whole glut of old iMacs if you're if you don't mind an older device you might be able to get one on the cheap yeah those two-year-old ones that don't have the upgraded processors are going to definitely drop in price because that entry-level 21.5 inch 4k iMac starts at 12.99 the brand new one so the old ones should definitely come down in price yep and you get a 4k display with it yeah and so that's pretty much what Apple's doing, but they're not the only company making news. And we like to talk about games, mobile games in particular, on the podcast. So there's actual relevant news. And so Game Developer Conference GDC 2019 is kicking off this week. And today Google unve- unveiled Stadia, which is their cloud gaming service. And it follows up Microsoft xCloud, which is, was a last, uh, announced last June at E3. And it's the same kind of kind of idea where it allows you to stream console quality games onto any device you own, whether it's a low end computer, it's your iPhone, your Android device. You can play those top tier games without needing Xbox One X or a PS4 Pro. You just need to access this service. And a lot of companies are jumping on. Amazon's planning one as well. Sony and NVIDIA have tried out their own different types of services. And it's really interesting because they're all kind of based on that idea from OnLive back in the day, which the company went belly up after five years. They had to sell all their naming rights and patents and everything. But at the time, it seemed really promising to be able to stream console games to any device that you have. Because as good as mobile games are when they're specifically designed for mobile, when they're based on console versions or, you know, like, here's an Assassin's Creed game or here's Fortnite's available on your phone. It's not the same thing as the console version. To get that full playable version is always going to be appealing, but Google's announcement left us with way more questions than answers. Right, yeah. I mean, the huge appeal of this type of service is you're not having to buy and upgrade a PC, always having to have the latest graphics cards and upgrade that or buy the latest consoles. This would allow you to use whatever devices you have, and you're allowing those computers that are out in the cloud to do all the processing. And really, it's just streaming the content to you, and you're sending your movement and, and that through a joystick or a, a gamepad of some sort. And you're basically just using your device as a screen and the demo that they gave of the stadia was pretty impressive they used a uh assassin's creed game and one of because google owns youtube they had it in set up in such a way where you could be watching a trailer for a game in youtube hit a little play button and you're immediately you don't have to download anything you're immediately in the game playing that game and it's it could supposedly do 60 frames a second high def 4k uh video for these and it was pretty i mean obviously they're showing you a tech demo so you don't necessarily know how it is but they're going to have their own 
controller that goes with it, but you'll be able to use other controllers as well. Their controller will allow you to quickly start capturing your play video or streaming it, and uh, and it talks directly via Wi-Fi to the game. It's going to know that this is the screen you're using, and this is the controller. So it's just... All this stuff is kind of going to eliminate the need to be buying these heavy-duty consoles and heavy-duty PCs uh, in order to play these console-quality games. You can use even a web browser and a, and a controller. And so I guess this is kind of going to... Well, what's going to happen with mobile gaming? You Granted, for these type of services, you're going to need an internet connection. There's no doubt about it. You can't play locally on your device. You are using computers that are out in the cloud to do all the processing. So there's always going to be this thing where you want to have something locally, but this would be streaming taking over that space where if you do have an internet connection, you could get a much richer experience than you might be getting just with like on an iPhone or an iPad. And really it comes down to, we trust Amazon and Google to have the server capability and infrastructure to handle the demands of this. It's just how much are they going to charge for the respective services? And then how are they going to connect? So we just talked about streaming services for TV and movies and how there's so many different choices and you have to go to different payment plans and different apps and different menus and interfaces and all that good stuff to access different programming. It's not all accessible in one place. So we can definitely see that already happening here. Like, say, you know, Google's pitching Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Are they going to have a direct partnership with Ubisoft? And if you want to play Ubisoft titles, you can only do it through Google Stadia. Maybe Microsoft, you know, with their xCloud, only has access to their exclusives, plus maybe EA. But then those aren't going to be available on Google Stadia. Do they become siloed off, or is it going to be an all-compassing library? And then the services differentiate themselves on latency and accessibility and all that kind of stuff. But it seems like just the way streaming services have developed, they become partnership deals for, you know, branding, awareness and differentiation. Right. I mean, are we going to have all these separate things you're going to have to subscribe to? Granted, even in the console space right now, you have console exclusive titles, yep. but it's not everything like there's certain ips that are, are exclusive to certain consoles so you've got to imagine there's going to be some of that going forward in this model and how long before this model really would replace a console because people aren't going to necessarily always have super fast internet where they're going to be able to take advantage of this there are going to be some situations where you want to be offline you don't necessarily have that connection to play so you can't really get rid of the consoles right away and then even if this is so fragmented to start i think we're going to end up seeing things where they're going to have to rely on other companies' servers, like maybe Amazon, Google have the best servers. So now these other companies are basically going to have to start borrowing from them, or do they start just getting acquired? And then we start seeing mergers in the space where you hopefully you're on the right service to play the games that you want to play. Yeah, and I mean, really, it seems like with TV, more services pop up every year rather than go away. And these big tech companies all try to join in whatever anybody else is doing. It's like Google sees Amazon doing this. They're like, we're doing it. Microsoft sees Google doing that. We're doing it. Apple's like, oh, these guys are doing that. We're doing that. They all kind of 
we all have to do whatever anybody else is doing. You're making a smartwatch, we need a smartwatch. You have a stupid tablet no one's going to buy, we're going to make a stupid tablet. And they just <laughs> kind of overlay. You know, you guys are working on a stupid car, we can do a stupid car too. And that's not. it doesn't like warrant that everything that they come up with is going to be gold, but every single service has seemed to kind of need to launch their own thing. Like anybody remember Google Plus or yeah. Ping or whatever Apple's tried? Oh, I forgot out? about Ping. Yeah. <laughs> so... They just keep trying to jump on whatever bandwagon it is. I mean, we already see with this music streaming service, Apple hasn't even gotten to their event for their TV streaming services, and people are already competing with it. I mean, even Apple joining in the TV service space is kind of idiotic when you think of all the other choices that are available out there. They're not offering any discernible features at this point unless they blow us away and completely surprise us next week. And this gaming thing kind of just fits in that same idea. The core concept is absolutely brilliant. But the execution through this competitive space where the potential is great, but the way companies try to siphon things off and make theirs the best, it detracts from everybody's entirely. Right. I think it's because that potential is so huge that they all have this fear of missing out on the next big thing. So they need to have a foot in this space, whether or not they're really prepared to offer something like that, just the fact that they're working on something gives them a, a, a possible entry into it. And maybe they ramp up if something does become huge. Maybe they just roll off it and go back to business as usual. But at least they have a foothold and they're not going to be completely left behind. Although that doesn't seem to bother Apple. They take their time and jump into these things super late. So who knows? Yeah, I think Apple's going to have uh, their own gaming streaming service in a couple of years once these take off. But <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the whole idea is kind of the future. You know, we've been predicting, or not we, but the like press around like console gaming has been predicting the death of gaming or console gaming since like digital downloads first appeared. They're like, oh, this is going to be the last generation. I don't see a future generation. And it's really, there's been the domination of Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo for you know, decades now. And to have Google or Amazon get into this space and disrupt it, you know, having Microsoft come up with an alternative to an Xbox so you don't need to buy an Xbox, but you can still buy their games, that's smart on them. You can still Xbox Live. That's cool. But to have Amazon do it and say, you don't need to go through Microsoft or Sony at all. You can play any console game you want direct through us. Same with Google saying that. That's kind of what could finally kill the whole console idea i don't know how long it's going to take like you said there's still a bunch of instances that that's not going to necessarily apply but being able to play the assassin's creed odyssey or red dead redemption 2 or something on your iphone rather than having to fire up any special thing that is always going to be appealing Right. Well, as long as you have a way to use an external controller, like I think that's the biggest delay on all well, of this stuff. If they're Bluetooth people... based, that's going to connect to most stuff. Right, right, exactly. So as long as, but then are people going to be carrying around a controller with them all the time? I mean, you're basically carrying around a screen. You also need to have a controller for these games. There's no way you're going to play some of these modern games, console well, it's games. It's like the Nintendo Switch it. is doing pretty damn well. True, true. Yeah. So if you see more and more setups like that, or maybe you have the Switch and now the Switch, this Switch model can then just connect to everything. You got your controllers right there. You got your screen right there. You just carry this device around and you can play any console game you want 
just by using this one device, which that would be great. Yeah, and I was talking to a buddy over the weekend about how the cool thing about mobile games, especially we play a bunch every week, is that you download them and you install them and you start playing them and it takes a couple minutes at most. If you're doing that, say you wanted to play two or three console games a week, it would take you like an hour to get the disc, put it in, install the whole thing, let it then... Re, you know get running up and running and then going through the tutorial you know you've spent an hour or two just to start up the stupid game and having this streaming service takes out that whole idea because even digital download you have to download the full 60 gigabyte file you have to still kind of get into that whole install downloading process so to turn that's what mobile games do so well is that they get you up and playing like essentially you could open your phone and start playing a game from the app store while you're waiting for your console game that you just bought that cost 60 bucks to actually install and be playable yeah xbox tried to tackle some of that by making games sort of playable as they're downloading but yeah, still, still you can't yeah. do everything and it takes but, like 15 gigabytes for that initial set right yeah so normally i tend to buy everything digitally now for for my console games and so normally i'll kind of download the game and have it just go while I'm at work and then I can play at night when I get home. And so that's usually how I end up doing it, but it would be so much nicer if you could just immediately start playing, which is what these streaming services aim to do. That way you're not waiting for these downloads. It's already downloaded on these servers out there and you can just start playing immediately without waiting for anything, which that would be amazing. Yep, it's a whole different potential appeal. And we'll see how these shape up. We'll see, because again, it's a bunch of questions. How much is this yep. service going to cost? Is it going to be siloed off into these different companies? And are people going to jump on it? Because again, OnLive existed and no one really cared. It went out of business. It was during you know the Xbox 360 PS3 days. And that seemed to even be more appealing at the time because there's so many more options today than then. You know, that seemed like a real alternative and people just never really cared or gave it a chance. I don't know if the brain, the brand name of Google or Amazon or Microsoft is going to do better than a third party startup, but we'll see. Well, we also have better Internet now. So, I mean, the the gaming quality should be better to have that that video coming down. So I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, now they're also competing with a lot more uh, TV and movie streaming services for people's attention as well. So it's they're going into a tougher space at this point. And then there's always Twitch and Mixer and you know YouTube Live. You can watch other people doing those, playing these streams too. So there's just all these competing attention for your time relative to gaming and streaming and all that. Yep. And then, kind of a side note, Xbox Live is coming to iOS. This is just a small kind of sub-story it essentially is going to replace or it's a toolkit for developers to integrate Xbox Live into their game. So essentially, when you complete a level on Candy Crush, you could theoretically earn an achievement for your Xbox Live points or you could do, you know, game chat right there within the app you don't need so right now you have the standard xbox app you can enable and join party chat with the xbox app this would enable it in any game that the developer adds it to right yeah so this would basically take over instead of stupid game center it's what 
open faint kind of hoped to be back in the day to be a one everything all devices didn't matter what kind of device because xbox is adding this to not only ios but they're going to add it to the allow switch titles to use it mm-hmm. they're going to allow android titles to use it so now basically microsoft live would become your go-to for all of your chatting your friends lists your achievements you'd have one source for pretty much all of your gaming which would be amazing if you had just like a unified service which that's what was so appealing about open faint back in the day and was so disappointing that apple didn't kind of hop on board with it so i'm hoping this apple doesn't do something to block this going down the road because it is a nice change to have this as an offering microsoft is really doing a lot of good stuff in the gaming space like they're finally paying attention to what you because you know this first xbox one launch they stumbled and ps4 and sony got a huge lead you know they're at like 86 million microsoft is down to like 40 50 million units sold and microsoft's been uh, like chipping away at that lead and now we're getting into that these consoles are getting long in the tooth we've done the 4k updates we're looking ahead to what's next and it seems like microsoft's positioning themselves to what's next better than any company out there yep yeah yeah i agree and then just one aside we don't really have a new app of the week but it is worth noting that the nca double or ncaa march madness tournaments beginning and you can fill out your brackets, you know, do work pools, all that kind of stuff. Even if you don't watch college basketball at all, you can pick a team just because you like their name. And <laughs> really, I think that was pointing towards me. <laughs> I actually haven't watched hardly any college basketball this year, but you can. There's a bunch of third party apps, but unlike other services, this is the one where the official NCAA March Madness live app, the regular number one first party choice is the best thing you can do you can watch every game available live all 68 games of the tournament right there within the app you can fill out your bracket compete your scores like you know yahoo has their own thing and espn has their own thing but having it all included in one app where you don't have to go anywhere else and then you can watch the games as they happen and you see the live score updates and news and all that good stuff there's nothing better there's only two caveats one is that you can watch every game live, but if you want to watch everything on... So every CBS game is live, but if it's on any Turner network, whether it's TBS, TNT, or True TV, then you're going to need your cable login. So that's, you know, whatever you might be using. And if you cut your cord, then you're not going to be able to have access to that. Unless you also then... This is the second caveat. If you have something like PlayStation View or DirecTV Now, or Sling TV, or Hulu with Live TV, YouTube TV, any of those that have those Turner networks in it, then you can also use that. Otherwise, you have a three-hour free preview period, and once that expires, you can't watch any of the Turner broadcast games. Well, that's good to know. I I think I actually have this app installed, because we talked about it another year, but <laughs> I don't even plan on launching it. I'm not into the sports ball. But it's so fun at the end of these games when college kids care so much about something that doesn't really matter. You got to give them credit. (laughs) Wow, that's so mean. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a big fan of minor league basketball. They can call it college basketball all they want, but it's too slow for me. You, You can watch the game. So this is just an aside. 
<laughs> you have a 24 second shot clock in the NBA and you can see the sets and plays that the players are running. And these are adult men who are going against other adult men and their speed of the game is pretty awesome. In college, it seems like you can see where the play is developing. It's almost like it's in slow motion. You have a 35 second shot clock and 24 instead of 24. And then with these college games, the way they're kind of moving forward, the top schools have these greatest, you know, prospects out there. They're going to run a high tempo offense, but these small schools, like you see Princeton or something, they're a ten seed or whatever. They're going to try to limit the number of possessions in the game. So the first eleven or twelve seconds of the shot clock, you have the point guard stand out by the half court line and dribble the ball. They're not running any sets or plays. All the other four guys are standing around, and it gets really slow and tedious watching these games. But on the flip side, this Thursday and Friday. There's 16 games on each day, and there's multiple games happening at the same time. And that's the only way I can watch college basketball, is when you have (laughs) simultaneous games so you can switch around and you go to the exciting portions. Now, does the app let you have multiple games on at once, or can you only watch one at, at one at a time? I think the app can split the screen, but the station has to do the broadcast, you know? Okay. Oh, I see you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the Apple TV, you can put four games up at once on the Apple TV, but you have to log into your cable TV provider to watch on your Apple TV. Okay. Yeah, but if you're just doing it on your phone, then you can get away with the free access viewing. Okay. That's good to know. Yep. NCAA March Madness Live. And so that means it's time for some new games. And the first one this week is Draw It, which is a really interesting idea. So there's been Pictionary games on the App Store, and those usually generate around online multiplayer where other people have to guess what you're trying to draw. This game flips it around by including this computer system that can figure out what you're drawing. And it's surprising how well it does actually figure out what you're drawing. You know, in real time, they have the... AI engine to see that you're trying to draw a bus and it identifies that you're drawing a bus. And the way it does that is that it gives you two choices of what to draw. It's like draw a kangaroo or draw a tree. And you can pick, but as soon as you start drawing, it starts guessing. And so it's already narrowed down the type of image that it's looking for. And it it does a really good job of guessing that, oh, you actually did kind of get close enough to a kangaroo that I'm going to say it is a kangaroo and you pass on to the next round. The main competition is that it's a four-player game and you're trying to get as many correct drawn or guessed by the machine drawings before your other three opponents in the given time limit. Yeah, so I remember there was a web page out there where you could kind of draw something on the screen and this AI would try to guess what it was. And this kind of builds on that concept. Granted, yes, you only have a choice between two things to draw. The AI doesn't know those are the only two things you're trying to draw. Otherwise, it would just guess one, guess the other, and then it would get it right. So it's trying to guess based on what it sees you drawing on the screen. So it might say a line, and I drew a vertical line. Well, it's not guessing line unless I draw a horizontal line. And it sometimes will guess the incorrect word, not necessarily the one you were drawing, but the other choice, and you still get credit for that. So, like, I I had, I think, ear and potato. And so I started to draw a face, and I put, like, two dots on it, and it thought those were, like, the eyes of a potato, and it guessed potato, and I was really trying to draw the face to then put ears on it, and I got it, it, and then 
move it on to the next question. But it is like this fast and frenetic, and it feels like you're playing with a human partner, even though you're not, because you see guesses coming up. You see them trying to guess things while you're trying to draw, and maybe you realize, like, I'm leading them down the wrong path, I, and you just clear it out and start over. Or maybe you choose the other word and focus on the other one, or you skip the word altogether. So it does really, even though you're playing with an AI partner it feels almost like you have someone else there playing with you yeah the one kind of thing for me was it seemed like you'd start going down the, you know this drawing sequence and i drew this cat it looks like a cat to me i'm pretty sure anyone i showed it to a guess cat and it couldn't guess cat no matter what it's like this is a kangaroo and there was nothing else <laughs> I could add or change to it. And so at that point, you're falling behind and you just have to clear it and start over. That that was the only thing that seemed to happen to me a couple times. But other than that, I just really enjoyed it. If you're familiar or if you're used to playing Pictionary and you're the type of person who might draw like a whole scene and then draw an arrow to point at one particular thing, the computer's not good at that method of playing no, Pictionary. No, I noticed it wasn't good at that either. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just a heads up if you are going to start the game. And you probably don't want to draw a pocket on your cat's belly because that might throw it off too. <laughs> <laughs> but it is free to download and there's various in-app purchases that are relatively optional. It's just kind of the whole ad avoidance thing or quick upgrades and power-ups because you can unlock new words and new kind of characters. There's a VIP subscription service. But if you play for free, you can fully enjoy the game. There's no limitations or hesitations of enjoying all that it has to offer because you can also upgrade over time. You can watch video ads to double your coin upgrades, unlock new words quicker. And there's always seemingly people online to play. It starts up in almost an instant as soon as you press that play button and you can just start drawing away. Yeah, you can grind to unlock those additional word packs. And even if you're playing the same words over and over again, it's not like the AI learns that well your drawings. <laughs> so you kind of still have to try to draw things that it's going to guess. You can't just, you could try the same thing over and over again. I, I did try that, but it still wasn't like it instantly guessed it. It still had to kind of learn. But you will want to play to unlock additional words so you're not constantly drawing the same things. But yeah, it's, I, I, I have a little bit of a problem with those subscription costs because they always seem outrageous to me that someone's really going to spend uh, $5.50 a week on this type of game or $14.50 a month on this type of game, which those kind of seem like bogus, like someone will subscribe and forget that they subscribed and they'll continue to pay these fees kind of thing. But it seems like more the type of thing someone might pay a buck or two a month, not like every week. So I wish Apple would like kind of kind of clamp down on that kind of behavior. I, I did see someone recently post that they got their mother was buying a subscription, to one of those coloring apps that was like fourteen fifty a week. And she didn't even know. She thought like her her grandson was coloring in these these pictures, but that's absolutely outrageous. Because who's going to spend fourteen fifty a week on a coloring app? And so I think Apple needs to kind of look into these things. But you really can ignore those. Just be cognizant that those exist. If you have a kid, uh, that make sure you have those locked down so you're not having someone accidentally buy this type of stuff and get into a subscription. I was going to say looking sheepishly at Mirror when you were talking about subscription coloring book app, but 
<laughs> no. It's you actually subscribe? No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. And uh, one other thing for Draw It, going back to Draw It, is that I wish you could play specifically with people you know. Like, it's always three random people. It is cool that you get to see their drawings in real time and little boxes at the top of the screen. But sometimes it would be cool to play me versus you and to change the time limit so it doesn't seem to go so quick. Yeah, that would be nice. Although, to be fair, I'm not even looking up at the top of the screen. I'm just focusing on drawing, 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 and not it's even looking at It's such a frenetic pace, people. too. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't have time to really look at anything else. It's not like, like in normal Pictionary, you might look at someone else's drawing so you can guess the thing faster, but not in this where you're drawing. You're just drawing frenetically. Yep. And again, changing the time, I think, would be the best. Like, oh, here, this is a two-minute version. Now let me play for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So Draw It is free. It's universal. And then there's Pleek, which is spelled P-L-I-Q. And it's essentially a a draw-your-own-Tetris where you get to see the incoming pattern or, yeah, pattern of rows of blocks that are going to fall down and you try to draw the pieces that you need. So it's like an inverted Tetris where you draw your own pieces. So you see that, oh, I need like a, a three shape over here and a square over here, and then just one cube here, and you try to draw those in before it falls to the bottom. And then any kind of gaps that you create, those layers are locked until you then clear the layer on top of it. And those layers can start to tack, uh, stack up relatively quickly. It's a pretty interesting idea just to be able to fill in the areas of the board rather than putting the pieces into the empty areas. Essentially, you create those pieces that you would need. It's just a whole kind of flip on the formula. Yeah, so at first I thought it was just kind of neat, where, okay, yeah, this is kind of cool because you kind of have to use a different spatial awareness and figure out the missing area and draw it in on this open basically an open screen you have to figure out where you got to draw in these missing spots but then the more i played it the more i really got into it because there's a lot more strategy than it initially appears because you don't have to just draw the one little section that's missing that's only going to give you maybe two or three lines get cleared and you get a little bonus what you really want to do is start filling in other areas that you might have missed before you might want to build up extra lines like maybe this is way up at the top so you can build like another two solid lines under the missing piece and so then when it clicks in place you've now cleared five lines or four lines and so you start to build up much higher multipliers and and get better scores by really kind of almost a risk reward setup where you see how much you can draw on the screen before this thing comes down and clicks because anything that wasn't a full width of the screen is going to get left around and then now you have to deal with that on a future turn and maybe that's enough to push things off the screen and you end up losing so there's a the more you start to play the more you see these other little things creep up and other ways to play and it just became a much more fascinating game the more i played it so i understand that whole kind of strategy thing but i don't know if fascinating was ever what I got to just because I was intrigued. I thought it was neat. And then I just got kept going through the motions where it was tough for me to lose. I I don't know if I'm just super good at Tetris. I'm experienced at playing Tetris, but this game, it never really seemed to challenge me. And I didn't lose until I just got so bored and wasn't really paying attention to the screen because it didn't seem like the complexity of the incoming waves never increased. And so I'm just like, 
okay, I'll add a few pieces here, I'll add right there. And then say I mess up one, well, the next one, I just fill in a couple rows really quick at the top, and then it clears a couple rows down just by drawing, you can draw in two straight lines essentially. I don't know if it's a special cheat hack or whatever, but that helps you clear two lines below that or, that are existingly locked. And just, it never seemed to really ramp up the difficulty or, you know, it was always like two or three waves came in. It's never like, oh, here's a block, a block of six you have to deal with. And so I kind of just was going through it, blanding it out. And then as you complete things, you're in power-ups. Those helped clear down the screen. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was too easy for me. I don't know if I'm the wrong person to judge it, but I just couldn't get really challenged by it. No, see, I felt the same way. So I thought if you didn't try to do these risk-reward type things where you were trying to draw extra stuff on the screen to get higher scores, you could just slow play this thing forever. Like, right. there was never enough of a challenge where if you just kept on slow playing, you could always draw in the stuff that was missing. Even if you messed up once, you could always kind of correct it the next time. It wasn't until you kind of put it on yourself to give yourself more of a challenge that I felt like it was more challenging and more interesting. I think they really they need to do something where they ramp that up much faster uh, on the player. And maybe they do it with offering different difficulty levels, because maybe people like the more Zen like this is easy. I'm just going to kind of play through it. Give me another higher difficulty level where you're throwing things much faster. They try to throw in the thing where you, now you have blocks where you need to get them hit multiple times for them to disappear. But even that didn't do much. Like, it didn't right. end up causing too much of a problem. But I agree with you. They need something to to not put the onus on, on the player, but rather have the game present more of a challenge right out of the gate. It seemed like the blocks never fell faster like they never increased in pace so if you kept your board near the relative bottom you could do that risk reward thing without even much risk it was just all reward you know it was like a if self-fulfilling bonus system because you had so much room and it never shrunk the amount of time that you got to work with Right, yeah, and even if you did have a problem where uh, it did get a little high, I always seem to get a bomb right at the right time, where mm -hmm. it would drop the bomb down and blow out those lower layers, and then everything would just drop down, and you'd have plenty of free space again. Speaking of bombs, this is the first game that I've ever encountered where they'll give you an ad mid-game to activate a power-up. I mean, it was asinine. I don't know who at their development team decided oh, let's put video ads right within the flow of the game. That will make everyone happy. That was just stupid. I, I so, won't even mince words on that one. <laughs> so I was playing a lot of this with a hack that you had mentioned to me. Right, we'll get to that so, later. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to mention that, but I, I wasn't necessarily seeing ads in the middle of gameplay. But this is the first game where I've ever had video ads show up in the middle of the game. That's interesting. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that yet. So, like, but yeah, you, that's you fill horrible. in a couple lines, and then all of a sudden a video ad appears. It's like what? <laughs> so yeah, that was super fun. And I don't know. It's a really neat concept, which I just wish. I think difficulty levels would be the solution to improve it because the core structure that is in place is really good. But as it stands, I think it's just too simplistic for long-term engagement. Right, yeah. I think it's a nice, interesting take on the classic Tetris style. Uh, I think it just needs a little more tweaking. 
Yep, so that's Polique. It's free. It's universal. And then there's Prisonello, which is a hardcore platformer. It's advertised as a hardcore platformer. We've seen a bunch on the App Store. There's no shortage of them. And most are those Twitch-based ideas where you need to react really quickly to an infusion and just chaotic level design and jumps that are really specific. You have really tiny areas to land. This game tries to do that, but... It seems like, at least for me, the hardcore nature comes from essentially poor design. There's poor level design. There's poor hit block awareness of your character in relation to spikes and objects. And there's no room for reaction. These levels are almost the size of the screen. So it's not like you can react on the fly like, oh, the level shifted around, but I'm quick enough to make a few jumps and maneuvers that I can overcome this. These levels are designed to just crush you for no apparent reason. There's even some level designs where the gotcha idea is taken to such an extreme level I've never seen in a game before. I, I don't know if that was just me. Uh, no, I agree. No, this is like the levels are just so compact that there's really no room uh, for error. And in the fact that they don't even really have it programmed that you can't possibly do most of these levels without an error is I mean, you're just going to fail. It's set up for you to fail but it doesn't feel like it's fair. Like, it doesn't even feel like you have a chance because of poor programming on the game. And so there'll be levels where you can easily make it through. But I would say the vast majority of them, they're just so badly designed or it just doesn't feel like the the controls are are there enough that you even have a chance of doing it. And to me, that's not hardcore. That's just poor design. And then... Just when you die, it lets you try to restart and replay it. But I wish if they're going to do that, put that so you can tap the screen and just mo- and then it'll bring up the button for you to hit play and try again. But that's in the center of the screen. Put that over on the side of the screen so I don't have to take my hands off the iPad and I can just start up another level and retry it, retry it. I'm more likely to retry if I don't have to, like, inconvenience myself by repositioning, tapping another button. Just give me an instant way to retry this thing and maybe you'll hook me into trying, even though it is so unfair, but it's just not set up for me to have any interest in retrying it. Yeah, I hate that retry button, too. That That is a stupid design. And just, you know, I think the biggest takeaway is that it feels more like Flappy Bird, where the challenge comes from poor design rather than good structural sound design. And so it just even there was a few times where I could 100 percent swear that I pressed the double tap button and he just doesn't jump the second time. He just falls into the pit of acid. Or there's a time where I do the double jump and he can't make it over the gap. It just, he'd fall short. Yeah, it doesn't seem possible. Yes. (laughs) So that's a great design, too. And, I mean, after a few times of that, you're like, this is stupid. And then after a few dozen more times of that, you're like, why am I still playing this game? And it's just because it's so annoyingly badly designed that I had to confirm that it wasn't just me, it was the game. And so I think an average player definitely wouldn't go through that extra slog to prove to themselves that it is just a terribly designed game. Yeah, yeah. This one's a, (laughs) a complete pass. Don't even bother. Yep, Prisonella, free, universal. And then there's Calamari Kid, which saw Prisonella, and it said, hold my beer. And (laughs) it decided, it goes with a different idea. So this is a 
a descent game, which is actual level based. And you play as this little squid guy and you tap to rotate clockwise and then you tap again to rotate counterclockwise and the squid spins 360 degrees completely and the goal is to descend so you're going to tap relatively quickly so he's just gonna you know swim left and right only like a quarter turn to maneuver through various seaweeds and underwater creatures to avoid being hit or injured or anything like that and then along the way you want to collect shells and those shells are going to be in precarious positions so you have to might spin around entirely and there's also a clock to make it through this whole sequence. And really, I would say that the best redeeming quality of this game is that there's really good checkpoints where you don't have to go very long through a stretch to get a checkpoint. But these stretches, the game, the control system, it's a new idea. And there's a reason no one has used it before. It's because <laughs> it's just it's not made to be played in a game. Yeah, it just feels awkward. Like, it doesn't feel like you have enough space to move in that fashion. So there's so many obstacles on the screen that you have to be really precise to get through certain segments of it. <clears throat> but I don't think you can do that with the control setup that they have. To add on to your checkpoint thing, I will give them points for, like, that checkpoint system is amazing. It's so good. But... They also do one other thing that's good, where if you take out one of the enemies or one of these like pieces of like coral or whatever it is on the screen that kills you instantly when you hit it, it's gone. So you don't have to deal with it the next time through. So it should be a little bit easier for you to navigate and get through that section of the, the level and make it to the next checkpoint. So at least they're smart about doing that. Uh, but otherwise, it. I just couldn't get past the control system. It felt awkward no matter how much I tried. And I played a lot of this to see if it would finally become comfortable. And it just, I never got used to it. It never felt good. Like, I've, I'm used to some of these rotation games where you're going left to right. And that feels more natural. You usually have more space. You're usually jumping from one point to another point, And then you're rotating in a in a a standalone space and then maybe you move on to the next thing and that just feels more natural this just feels awkward yeah there's a bunch of really good planet hopping based games and i think you're right i think that's how you describe it is just the quarters are so compact that the system doesn't make sense like if you rotate 360 degrees that takes about a half to you know his rotations about a half of the entire playable screen so you don't have that much real room compared to how maybe his loops that he takes are too big i, I don't know what it is but it just doesn't work and it's not just oh this is a new idea you got to take time to get used to it it's just not made to be playable because that just doesn't really fit with the whole idea like squids they don't spin in 360 degrees going down so i mean know why that's about it, it just I, I i don't know why they decided to do this because everything else is really made well i like that it's not just an endless game because they could have made a simple real endless game but to have a whole level based thing each level has collectible shells plus the time challenge for replayability all the little pieces are there it's just the controls entirely hamper the experience one-handed on an iphone it was a little more tolerable, but it's the spots where you really have to navigate him through such a little narrow opening that 
is where the controls really fall apart or they really tightly together um opposite like enemies they're kind of moving together and i don't know maybe i'm just impatient i wanted to finish the level maybe you're supposed to kind of let them just sit and rotate for a while but even then it felt like if you kind of let them alone and let them rotate eventually things would come and hurt you so there was never enough room on the screen to really kind of let him just sit and do his thing and bide his time until he could navigate through. You kind of had to just run, do like a speed run and hope for the best. If you died, you go back to the checkpoint, try again. Maybe there's less obstacles on the screen. And to me, that didn't feel as fun. Like, yeah, I'd rather have something that felt doable and not I'm basically forced to die a whole bunch of times and then I can do the level. Yeah, there's no fix for mistakes either. Say you accidentally tap the screen. There's no quick fix for that because he starts rotating. He's pretty much rotated into an obstacle by the time you try to tap it out. Or if you do tap again really quick to fix it, he's then back into the other way again at a super opposite challenge. And it's because of those super tight stretches and the arc that he takes is so wide. It just really doesn't work. Even if you do that quickly tap to descend into straight angles, the enemies are moving. So that's not really going to work either because if you have the seahorse that's sliding left to right and you try to do that quick route, then it becomes almost like, you know, Prisonella where it's this stupidly designed hardcore platformer. Right. I wish they would add like a swipe, a swipe up to kind of loop or even a swipe forward to do like a burst in your current direction, like to kind of hop back or hop forward to, and that would almost make up for like a, a, a stray tap that sends you veering in the wrong direction. Like maybe you can back up quickly to give it another try. Something, some other additional control that lets me kind of almost like an undo, but that makes more sense with the in movement. Yep. So that's Calamari Kid. It's also free. It's universal. And so those are four new releases this week. And, you know, it wasn't the greatest week of releases. So interestingly enough, since we were watching so many video ads in this game or in these games, I wanted to just mention there was this one game I found through a video ad. And full disclosure, most of those games I completely ignore. Most are super garbage. Most have a huge marketing campaign, advertising campaign, because they're generating so much through in-app purchases that are often predatory. So I kind of avoid this whole space. But Color Bump 3D, I saw it in a video ad. I'm like, you know, that looks pretty fun. I'll download it. What the heck? And it's actually a surprisingly really good game. So you control this little colored ball, and there's two colored blocks on screen there's two areas of colored blocks there's these little tiny various 3d geometric shapes and you need to make sure your ball rolls through the right color like say you're going up and there's blue and red you have a red ball and you want to make sure that you're only touching red shapes if you touch a blue shape you die and then you might change colors through the course of a level but really the standout feature of this game is the 3d physics engine in the way that all of the geometric shapes, you have to push them out of the way with your ball. I mean, there's like hundreds of them, and you'll get like this big kind of huge block. You can swipe all these uh, anti-color ones out of your way or, you know, push them all together, push these little ones together. So you have kind of this little force field around you as you're weaving through these other sections. And the physics react exactly as you would expect. And then 
as the opposite of Calamari Kid, the control scheme just works perfectly. You can drag your finger on screen and it feels like the ball is live right under your finger. You know, you can do a quick spin and twist of your finger and the ball flies exactly as you move your finger. And so that lets you weave through these tight sequences of these colliding and collapsing balls that are manipulated as the ball rolls through. Yeah, the physics in this thing is absolutely amazing. Like, I've seen the ad for this thing so many times, and my daughter has seen the ad in the games that she plays, and she did a request one day to request this game. And I'm like, I've seen the ad. It looks kind of fun. Why not? So she's been playing it, and then I'm like, I, like every once in a while it'll pop up in an ad, and then you can try it while mm-hmm. you're playing. And so like, oh, I'll try it. I know this is one of those stupid ad games, but I'll give it a try. And it's like the physics is absolutely incredible in this. So if you're moving slowly, if you're moving that ball slowly, you're kind of just barely parting these things away. If you give it like a big heave ho and slam your ball into this thing, you clear out a huge path they go flying everywhere they take out the other ones near them and you can kind of clear yourself a path there'll be times where you need to like just use a big forceful path because you need to bump a lot of the like say your ball is white you need to bump all these little white things into the red ones to kind of knock them out of your way because there's not a clear path otherwise or sometimes you'll just have to grab onto one big long one and use it like a plow to plow your way through things until you can come to an open space of like a clear grouping of white ones you can kind of roll through. Or you have to set yourself up because you know that you're about to change color and you need to clear a path so that when you change color, you have an open pathway to the next set of those colored blocks. So there's a lot of strategy and they do a great job of like really mixing up the pathways and the size and the heaviness and the types of the blocks. So you really have to change up. There'll be holes you have to avoid. It is so smooth too, how you can move. It reminds me a lot of, what was that? Dark Nebula or what was that game called? No, Dark Nebula is tilt-based. But that was tilt-based. But it felt like just as smooth as that, where you like really have to kind of focus on this ball. And it felt like the one-to-one between your finger and the ball felt perfect and in sync where that felt perfect as you tilted and rolled Mm -hmm. that ball around these like maze like things to avoid traps this you're not necessarily avoiding traps but avoiding groupings of colors of balls and it kind of gave me that same sense that i had back from that game but granted it's a different movement mechanism but it just felt so smooth and i was shocked by this heavily advertised game, because you always expect these things to be junk. And like, even when I was playing this and I saw ads come up, I saw dumb looking games, but like I wanted to try them. Like (laughs) the stupid one where you do the, the parking brake to flip your car around and get into a parking spot. I kind of wanted to try that one because who knows, it might be fun. And I can see why people download these things now because some of them actually are pretty good, even though they look kind of stupid on the on the face of it. This like is actually well designed. Yeah, I think some games, especially some of the early ones, have given a bad name to the whole thing now. But the one kind of trick with this game, Brett kind of hinted at it earlier, is this kind of hack or pseudo hack. It's especially relevant in this game. So it's a video ad based game. As you play at the end of a level, there's a video ad. 
And then within a level, there's ads at the bottom of the screen. And if you have a slow internet connection, it kind of slows down the smoothness of everything that we've said. You know, the way the shapes interact, the way your ball moves, there's just kind of that slow loading time of the ads, plus there's an ad in between each level. Well, it turns out if you turn on airplane mode on your device, there's no ads. And you can just breeze through the whole game. You finish level 36, guess what? Here's level 37. No video ad, no nothing. It's buttery smooth in terms of all the physics interactions because it's not trying to load an ad or preload an ad. And you can do that with a lot of video ad-based games, that that monetizes it. I know it's technically horrible because you're not funding these developers, especially if they made such a great ad or great game. But on the flip side, developers should have an option to get an in-app purchase to remove ads so then you could pay them and have this experience. So if they don't give you that option, airplane mode has to be the way to go. Yeah, I think this one actually does have a no ad, uh, $199 in-app purchase. So I felt kind of bad doing it, but you're right. It is so smooth once you did it. And the only the one downside that I did notice, besides obviously not supporting the developer, is um, that if you use AirPods, there go your, you can't use AirPods when you're in uh, airplane mode because it kills both the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth. So you can't use your AirPods. But uh, I did, once you showed me this on Color Bump, I then tried it on a whole bunch of these titles that we have this week. So it worked on Calamari Kid as well. Like that had no ads. Uh, I turned it off and uh, no ads popping up in that one there was none in uh which was the oh ple pleak there i didn't have any ads popping up in the middle of my uh in the middle of my game because there was no internet connection for ads to be popping up and destroying my game uh obviously you can't do it and dry it because you wouldn't be able to play because you need the internet connection for that game uh but it is definitely something I will consider using if something is so incredibly ad heavy in the future, uh, because there's a point where you got to have a balance. You can't just be having ads showing up constantly over and over and over again, especially where I've noticed on some of these games where my daughter downloads them, some of the ads are pretty inappropriate for like kids downloading these games. So I, I don't know how they control what ads they get, but there are definitely ones that are, I wouldn't consider kid friendly and the app might have like a four plus rating and yet an ad shows up that is definitely not appropriate for kids. I told I showed my daughter this trick and I think the next time she plays Color Bump, I think she will be turning it on to airplane mode and and maybe I'll get less requests for other additional games because it seems like whenever she plays these games, she wants every single game that's been advertised. <laughs> she then sends me requests to download them. So at least that'll slow down as well. But you definitely should support the, uh, the developers and not use this all the time. But if there's something that is egregiously bad with the ads or have uh, questionable content, then I see no problem in using this trick. Yep, so that's Color Bump 3D. It's free, it's universal, and I think that's everything for episode 95. That's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.